It is by will alone I set my mind to read. It is by the juice of corn that words acquire meaning, the pages acquire stains, the stains become a review. It is at patreon.com slash sword and laser you can provide support. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you and us. And us. We're also fans. And we do have lots of discussions. Just like you. <laughs> we're so getting very really, what you were just saying was totally true. Recursive now. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, it's because I'm not drinking. I'm having a San Pellegrino. Ah, excellent. Well, I'm having a I mean, I guess I'm drinking San the Pinot Grigio. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not Sans Pinot Grigio. It's Cone Pinot it's, Grigio. Yeah, it's Cone's Pinot Grigio. <laughs> We're mixing our Spanish and Italian now, which and is Yeah, it's, a, it's becoming a polyglot here. Uh, I feel don't like call me that. Real, real, How dare you? <laughs> it's not as bad as it sounds. Uh, I feel like I should get out of the way right right now that I did a horrible job of representing my doctor <laughs> on the last episode. Oh, yeah. So I, I missed this whole conversation until I was putting together the show notes. And I was like... <laughs> Tom Tom rarely jumps in to like defend I just himself I, I, I or whatever. I thought I had to defend the integrity of my doctor because okay, so this is about I don't lemons. actually remember everything I said on the last episode, but I'm sure I misrepresented it. Uh, something, but, but, something, alkaline. Yeah, the short, the something, short version is we were, I mentioned that my doctor noted that the alkaline level in one of my blood tests was low and suggested that maybe I drink some mineral water or add lemon to my water. And of course- very reasonably, people in the thread for that episode said the whole alkaline diet thing is a crock. You know that, right? Uh, and yes, they're right. The alkaline diet has no scientific evidence. But my doctor wasn't trying to get me to go on the alkaline diet. She was just saying, hey, I noticed this thing. You know, you might think about doing this really easy thing if if that's something that you want to bring back into balance because you're a little bit out of range. So I, I and I and there's there's like legitimate peer-reviewed medical articles about why that's a you know a something mm-hmm. for her to mention that's reasonable she wasn't trying to get me to go on a fad diet and i just i i felt dr yazdani deserved better from me so that's why <laughs> you misrepresented her <laughs> yeah she is not a crank she's a very good doctor well i'm glad to hear you're not subsisting solely on lemons <laughs> on alkaline yeah i'm i'm not uh i'm and not mineral drink- water Special, yeah, and she just said mineral water. I didn't have to buy like the special alkaline water with the special alkaline things or anything like that. It's, it's all good. It's all good. What's that water that people buy? Uh, what's what's that special water that people buy? Not mineral water. There's so many special waters. Okay, this one you, buy. is okay. So the the thing is, is when you use a neti pot, you're supposed to use. Mm. This kind of distilled water. <laughs> distilled. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> and I don't understand why they think people have easy access to distilled water. <laughs> and well, you clearly, can buy it, at the it can't be store. that much of a difference. You can buy like big tubs of distilled water at the grocery store. But it just seems like a waste. Well, yeah. The isn't the idea that if it's distilled, that makes sure it doesn't like gunk up your nutty pot with stuff yeah with like harmful flesh-eating bacteria and whatnot well yeah that but also like um 
just just like hard water deposits and things like oh, that. Oh, mine's just a squeeze bottle. I oh, think the okay. the germs are really I've probably the primary one, so I have concern. No idea. Okay. You've, hold up. The distilled water is less likely to carry pathogens. I've moved on. You've never neti potted before? No. Like even the squeeze bottle kind, the sinurins? No. Really? No. Why? Do you get boogies? I mean, don't we all? Yeah, so you should neti pot, man. I just blow my nose. Well, I mean, yeah, but you can't get it all out that way. <laughs> I'm not a completionist. You have comes you to have my not nose. even experienced the freedom of being pure <laughs> in your sinuses. This feels like you're gonna get the posts about well, I'm gonna say, stuff this week. I already know what they're gonna say. They're gonna do the well. Actually, Veronica, if you use a neti pot, it's not really rinsing out all of your sinuses. It's just you creating see a it, vacuum. But Veronica literally pushed her glasses up the bridge of her nose when she said that. I know the science behind the sign you rinse neti pot at all. Um, I'm just saying that it feels real nice. It's very all satisfying. Right, right. Yeah, I've never thought of it as something I needed. Well, you don't know it till you don't know you need it till you try it. Now my sinuses hurt sympathetically. Yeah, just, talking, just thinking about it. I had a cold <laughs> recently. That's why it's top of mind. Um, all right, all let's right. jump into the quick burns. Ian kicks us off this week. Thank you, Ian. Uh, rough draft of chapter one from book four of Brandon Sanderson's Starlight Archive now available. Details from Tor. If you want to get a little sneak peek, head on over there. Tor's really good about that sort of stuff. They super are. Um, how many? So there's four books now. Wow. For some reason, I thought that was already done, but I guess this is a newer series. I'm not up to date on my Brandon Sanderson as much as I should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Stormlight Archive book four. I don't think it ha- does it not have a name yet. Anyway, but you uh, you have to sign up to his newsletter, mm-hmm. but then you'll get the chapter mailed to you. Very cool. So there's a little bit of a catch, but it's also on Reddit, though I guess. Um, but it, oh, that I may has have seen that spoilers. in R slash fantasy. Yeah, but it's only the end of the chapter. So if you want the whole chapter, then you get you want to sign up for the newsletter. Got it. Uh, John Taloni says that uh, DC Fontana has died, age 80, after a short unnamed illness. Uh, Some of her vast legion of accomplishments are in the article linked. She wrote uh, my favorite, John's favorite, uh, Six Million Dollar Man episode, The Alien Rescue Story, straight on till morning. Um, But most of you will probably know her work uh, from Star Trek. Yes, Journey to Babel and Yesteryear, uh, two of the more revered stories. Star Trek, the original series mm-hmm. episodes written by DC Fontana. Re- Yesteryear is the one where Spock travels back in time to rescue a younger version of himself. Yeah. And Journey to Babel uh, introduced Sarek and Mother Amanda. So that mm-hmm. was a pretty, pretty big deal in the canon of Star Trek. Um, and interestingly, she was uh, she used a, a pseudonym uh, to, to not be recognized as being female when she first started writing uh, science fiction. And I believe that she worked for uh, Roddenberry as well mm-hmm. as a sec. Was it as, as a secretary? That I, d- I don't know. I don't know if secretary is the right. OK, uh, the right word or not. I feel like I read that somewhere mm-hmm. um, or something similar to that. But she worked for Gene Roddenberry before she became a writer, before she started writing uh, for Star Trek. Um, super, super illustrious career. Very sad. She was working as a, I found it. She was working as a production ser- secretary. Okay, production secretary. Uh, Great. To a producer of The Lieutenant and ended up reporting directly to Roddenberry when his production secretary was hospitalized for two months. Amazing. And that's when he brought her on to Star Trek to write Charlie X. Wow. 
She went on to contribute to Deep Space Nine. She worked on the web series Star Trek New Voyages, which was a big coup for them because they were just yeah. a fan project. Mm-hmm. Uh or not just a fan project that belittles it. It's a really well done project, but they got so many good people, including DC Fontana to work on it. Uh, she worked on the Waltons and Bonanza, of course, $6 million man, as we mentioned. So yeah, quite, quite a body of impressive work. DC Fontana. We thank you for everything you did. Absolutely. Uh, Michael Moorcock's Elric saga has been optioned for television. Uh, the Walking Dead's Glenn Mazzara and Star Trek Discovery's Vaughn Wilmot signed on to adapt it for New Republic Pictures. Fantastic. As soon as you said Glenn, I thought it was Glenn, the character Glenn, <laughs> but it's an actual right. real human named Glenn. Right. No, this is a, a person who w- wrote The Walking Dead who also named Glenn. Fantastic. Very cool stuff. Um, Alex says a new book by Jeff Vandermeer is out soon, Dead Astronauts. Uh, Dead Astronauts is set in a post-climate change apocalypse future, though exactly when and where we are, we are, sorry, (laughs) this sentence is giving me problems. All right, starting over here. All right, Dead Astronauts is set in a post-climate change apocalypse future, though exactly when and where we are remains artfully hazy. The unnamed company, like a malignant tumor, has spread across and corrupted not only the surrounding city, but branching timelines, alternate versions of the world. Chen, Moss, and Grayson, the titular dead astronauts, have journeyed across these multiple versions, dying over and over in order to, quote, destroy the company and save the future. Some That's future. an excerpt from the New York Times uh, article about this. Uh, hence the overwrought prose. Yeah, we will we will blame that difficult to read sentence on the New York Times and not on Alex. Thank you. Uh, yeah, not the, not Alex's fault. He was just quoting. Uh, but that sounds fantastic. I'm in. Uh, very kind of cool. sounds like Groundhog Day almost, except it's with like higher Groundhog stakes. Day meets uh, Annihilation, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Is it the same company from the Annihilation series? Wasn't that the name of the? Well. I mean, I don't know if it's the same universe or not, but he probably mm-hmm. just used the same. He may have used the same trope. I don't know. True. All right. Well, thank you for everyone for contributing. Uh, if you want to contribute your own stories, things happening in the world of the science fiction and fantasy news world, world, world. Yeah, all of the world. Head over to uh, QuickBurns uh, over on Goodreads.com slash Sword and Laser. All right. Well, now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Uh, We had a great thread. I really like this thread, actually. Um, How to Recover from Reader's Block. And this is from Dara, and it really resonated with me. So I'm going to read the uh, the post that she placed here. Uh, She says, James Davis Nickel talks about how to recover from Reader's Block on Tor's blog. We all need a little help in this regard from time to time. Nickel says, quote, the best method I know of for mitigating Reader's Block is to cast one's net wider. Literary ennui may be simply a matter of reading too narrowly. Consider the books you've recently read and ask yourself if they have any common elements. If you're not the sort of person who enjoys that sort of thing, muse on your recent reading in a vague way and ask yourself if there is something they share. Are all the authors of the same gender? Do they come from the same narrow cultural background? Have you been sticking to uh, Have you been sticking to a certain subgenre? If so, why not take a chance on a book outside of your comfort zone? And then Dara says he employs a spreadsheet to help direct him to new things to read. Uh, I tend to read a different genre when I'm suffering from reader's block. Usually, a nice nonfiction book sorts me out. What other tricks do you employ? 
Oh, this is great. Uh, I, I like to think that sword and laser is a in genre uh, help with these sorts of things by mm-hmm. by directing you to try new things and different things. But uh, but sometimes you just got to get outside the genre altogether. I I don't know that I've ever really experienced a true case of reader's block. Oh, I have. Uh, Rick, Rick points out yeah. that there are, there are certainly times when you just need to take a break. And I think that's fair. It's like, that's not reader's block. Reader's block is, I want to read something. I just can't. I just don't know what, right? Uh, yeah. Is that how you have experienced it? This happens to me when I have finished the sword and laser pick for the month early or something, or I want to mm. pick an audiobook to read uh, in tandem with something that I'm reading on Kindle. And I often feel that like, stressed out feeling of, oh my gosh, like just this overwhelming choice and not knowing where to even start. And so I think that to me, it almost feels like reader's block because I want to, I want to pick something good that I'm going to enjoy, but I just have so much selection available to me that I don't even know where to start. And so I feel overwhelmed and kind of just don't commit to anything for a little bit. And so I don't know. I came up with an idea that I actually treated on my editor's desk uh, uh, podcast that I do for the patrons of DTNS about resistance and acceptance. Mm. And the more resistance you have going into something, the less likely you are to enjoy it. And there's a certain amount of resistance that you can't control, right? You just don't like horror, Veronica. (laughs) I like horror. Oh, okay. I like horror. I don't mind horror books. But you're resistant to watching a horror movie. And so, and that's not something you have control over. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think we have more control than we think about coming into something. And I see people going into movies, TV shows, books with the idea that it has to impress them. Mm -hmm. And that's a little bit like chasing a high. Because the higher your expectations on something, the harder it has to work to achieve them. And then when it does, when it surprises you, you feel great. You're like, wow, I, I, I was expecting it to be good and it was even better. That's a great feeling. But if you go in with acceptance saying, okay, I'll, I'll be willing to accept a certain amount of problems to a limit, <laughs> of course, right? But you're like, okay, I'll look the other way on that. I'll look the other way on that. You can enjoy, you can have a really enjoyable time. So I wonder if kind of fine-tuning your acceptance resistance spectrum a little help you would help people get out of reader's block because it may be that they're just like, oh, I, I need everything to be the best book I've ever read. And that's just, you're never going to do that because not every book can be better than the last one. Yeah. And uh, there are, there's a lot of really good tips here in this thread, actually, about other ways that people have gotten through this. Um, I like your your idea, Tom. Uh, Tina says that she likes to switch between formats, audiobooks, short stories on podcasts, oh, yeah. ebooks. I I do that from time to time too. I'll jump over to an audiobook. And Ian says that often a reread of a beloved book refreshes the palate. Kind of nice. gets you like just in the mode of reading and knowing you'll enjoy something and then you can take on something a little less, a little more outside of your comfort zone later on. And uh, yeah, I think that I think those are all like super valid methods. Um, and Jenny uh, of the Reading Envy podcast says that sometimes the best cure for reader's block for me is to watch a few episodes of a TV show that isn't requiring as much focus or mm-hmm. to listen to some podcasts. Um, yeah, this is this is super interesting. I sometimes just try to usually what I'll do when I'm feeling super stressed out about it, which is kind of a sad thing to even have to say. 
is that I will go back to a series that I already enjoyed and pick up in the next book uh, that I haven't gotten to yet. So I'm Mm -hmm. like going back to a familiar place into a story that I already know I like. Um, I kind of did that with Jade City. Um, oh yeah, a little bit because I was uh-huh. like, oh, I know, I I like Jade War a lot. Like I think like, and it's been great, and I've been able to kind of put it on pause as I pick up things like the Snow Queen, for example, um, and other picks of of things that we have to read. Uh, so that's been good to have kind of on the back burner waiting for me uh, to kind of prevent that reader's block thing from happening. Uh, but that's not always going to be the case. So these are some great suggestions for sure. Yeah. Yeah, good good suggestions in there. And and again, uh, to Rick's point, sometimes maybe just don't fight it. Just mm-hmm. take it as a as a need to to take a take a break, you know, and have have your mind recover. And I think I think the recommendation to maybe watch a couple episodes of a TV show is is acknowledging that. Like, yeah, sometimes you just you just need to move away for a little bit and then you can go back with a fresh fresh eyes and and things will will look different once once you've given your your brain a chance to to recover and rest and all that. That's good advice too. Honestly, the thing that gets me way more than that is when I finally have the time to sit down and play a video game. Oh yeah. And I'm like, what video game am I going to play? It has to be good. <laughs> That's like just paralysis $60. of choice right there. Yeah. 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 yeah I, think- I always have uh, an audiobook going, which is usually the sword and laser, but I have a second audiobook That's my backup book. So when I'm done with the sword and laser pick and I want to listen to an audiobook, I've always got another one going. So it's been taken like the one I'm reading right now uh, is taking me like six months to read because <laughs> I just but I like it enough that mm-hmm. I can always go back to it. Um, and I have a Kindle book that I'm always reading as well. So, you know, when I don't want to read an audiobook and I just want to read something on Kindle, I've got that going on. So, yeah, I kind of set up defenses, I think. And that, that's how I, I avoid it. I, I do audiobooks for nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a history of the world that I have on my audiobook that I've been reading for years. I'm listening slash reading to Never Split the Difference. It's about the art of negotiation by an FBI hostage negotiator. Oh. So what can we do to get you to finish that book? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like you want me to finish that book. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're learning from it. I see. Seems like already. you have some interest in how so I'm going to listen to this audiobook. We are very interested in how you feel. Mm-hmm. It seems like you're interested in how I feel. That's the only tip I know so far. <laughs> to, to mirror. <laughs> to That's mirror. As far as you've it's, it's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah, mirroring. Yeah. Um I I it seems you've read this book before. <laughs> I've read an interrogation manual, and I think they're probably fairly similar. They're probably fairly similar. All right. Seth has another <laughs> great post. You mirrored me right there. Did I? Yes, did you I said do? probably fairly similar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm validating you, Tom. That's what I'm doing. You're validating. I'm using tactical empathy. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. See? Uh, you're going you're gonna to be negotiating everything soon. I am going to be negotiating everything soon. Uh, okay. So Seth writes, just, just caught doing that. Yes, please take us away. Uh, he says, uh, first thread I've started. Let me know if I've messed it up. No, Seth, no, you first have started all, a thread. Therefore you have not boom. messed it up. Yeah. Done. Good. 
He says, Library Journal published a sort of state of genre fiction piece here, and he links to it. It's an interesting enough read with discussions of a few genre trends, but there's one that I found particularly interesting. Here's the quote from an editor at Tor about the audience for SFF, changing from an audience of mega buffs, 20 to 30 SFF purchases per year, to younger readers buying 10 to 20 books per year, of which two to four may be science fiction and fantasy. They connect it to the mainstreaming of science fiction fantasy on the screen, where even non-genre readers are more than happy for their big TV obsession to have dragons in it or their favorite movies to have superheroes. I think this struck me because I really bounced off a few books this year that got plenty of plaudits, both before release and now on end-of-year lists. Could this be a reflection of this trend that the audience for the bigger titles isn't genre readers anymore, but rather the general public? That's that's really interesting. And first of all, Seth, not only did you do it right by just starting a thread, but you did it extra right because we love getting these sort of like, here's an interesting article about, they don't really fit in the quick burns because they're not newsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is the perfect way to treat those is to give your your summary and your take on them uh, with the link. So I really like the way Seth uh, approached sharing this. Uh, not that there's a wrong way to share it, but but I think this is a really good way. I think this is fascinating because to me, uh, a lot of the the thread in response to this had to do with people saying, yeah, I feel like marketing makes me think books are bad and then I go and see them and they're good. Or <laughs> I feel like marketing just talks about the diversity of the writer uh, and not the substance of the book. And to, to you know, I, I think there's just a change in genre because it's now mainstream like it's gone from being despised like literally belittled you read Mm -hmm. science fiction what are you a child Mm -hmm. to oh that's a weird thing that weird people do to oh i guess some people are into that to oh yeah some stories can have dragons and some can have spaceships and that's just the wealth of stories that we have out there and i and it's it's tempting to get caught into the like I liked genre fiction when genre fiction was cool mentality mm-hmm. that that every every subculture uh, faces at some point when part of it gets mainstreamed. But in the end, I, I think it just means that, as far as I can tell, we have more choice than ever. And so, if you look at books and you think, "Well, that doesn't look good to me," it's probably because there are just so much more to choose from that you have a wider variety. And when you have a wider variety, not every one of them is going to appeal to you. It it just it just wouldn't by math, if nothing else. Right. Um, Ava wrote in that thread, the books you love don't suddenly stop getting published just because more people read SFF than ever before. Which I think it but it, it but a lot of people kind of echo the sentiment that it just becomes a little harder to find them or a little harder to figure out what's really going on in the books because, as you said, the marketing has mm-hmm. kind of yeah. changed to resonate more with this wider audience, which is where reading reviews comes in, which is where listening to podcasts comes in, which is where talking to your friends who are readers comes in. Um, that's still really the way that I find the books I'm most interested in uh, to this day. Like, I'm not... Even though I do look at the end of year lists and the best of lists and read the reviews and things like that, that's not my primary method for figuring out what I think is going to be most interesting to me. Um, It makes me more aware of what else is out there, which I think is great and probably broadens my horizons a little bit. But 
for better or for worse, I'm still turning to like my inner circle of people whose opinions I trust or my Goodreads friends or things like that to really figure out what's what's going to break that reader's block for me for the next book pick to to go back to an earlier thread. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's it's. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a it's a good thing. I think the more people, it's making it easier for authors to find a wider audience. It's it's making more names get out there that haven't been out there before. It's it's broadening horizons for um, for authors who are underrepresented. Um, so I think it's it can only I think be a good thing. I mean just just by by the sheer fact of the number of books and authors that we've talked about in the last year that are being optioned for TV or film, like that's, that's really wonderful because those doors have been kind of blown open. And even if not all of them get made, it's a, it's an opportunity there that wasn't necessarily there before for someone who is writing and creating genre fiction. To Seth's point, I, he writes, I really bounced off a few books this year that got plenty of plaudits. That's going to always happen. Right. Because, uh, again, especially if there's a wider variety of books to choose from for awards, then they're going to pick more diverse options to be nominated and get plaudits. And if you liked all of them, that would be weird. (laughs) (laughs) Because imagine like, okay, if every science fiction and fantasy fan liked every plaudited book, then that would mean that all of us liked exactly the same books. And that would be like Madeline Lengel level scary. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be surprised when you look at what's getting plaudits and you're like, nah, I didn't really like that one. Or that one doesn't sound as good to me. Uh, even if it's a majority of them, because we all have different opinions and we all bring different things to our stories. What would be worrying is if you're not finding any books you like. And I don't think I see anyone saying that. Maybe it's harder to find things you like, or it's harder to tell if you're going to like something. And that may be true, uh, especially because there's just so much more information about books anymore. You you won't just settle on like, here's the book that's available in the new releases of the library, so I'm going to read it, which is what I had to do when I was growing up. Uh, but now you don't have to do that. And that that means that, that you have a lot, you have a little more work to do plowing through that information. I think that's that's totally happening. But there's also more of a chance that you're going to enjoy something than ever before because there's so many different things and you're not going to get bored. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I got distracted because I just read that Trike didn't like Binti and now I'm mad at him. (laughs) You weren't listening to what I said about all of us have different tastes and like different things. Yeah, I totally, my brain just shut down because, Uh yeah, Yeah. no, it's, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Trike's wrong, but you're right. <laughs> He's not wrong all, for him. All opinions are valid except trikes. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just settle down. I loved Binti. I'm sorry. And that was one. See, he, he, he's, he's, he's talking about how like he. It's a long story. It's I, I went way down into the threads, and now I'm I'm down into a rabbit hole of of descriptions of finding things that get too much chatter and. People, you know, once they dig into them, don't like as much versus things that like got chatter, but then you read them and you're like, oh, this is amazing, but not for necessarily the reasons it got the chatter for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, I think it's well, just the same are problem like we always for have. Different reasons. Yeah, so the chatter bigger. may be legitimate for those people, mm-hmm. but you found something else in it. And I think that's great. Totally. All right. I'm going to 
put aside my emotions, gonna put them aside. All opinions are valid here at Sword and Laser. We're going to talk about her book of the month discussion, uh, starting with a a brief kickoff little commentary on our book for December, uh, which I selected based on feedback from our audience, uh, talking about what they would want to read for the holiday season. And we are going to be reading The Hogfather by Terry Pratchett. This makes Terry Pratchett our first three timer. (gasps) Really? Yeah. Which I can I can think of no better author deserving of it. Okay, maybe I can think of, think of a bunch of authors also deserving of it, but Terry Pratchett is certainly deserving of it. Uh, it's it's kind of two and a half because uh, we Good did uh, yeah. we did the weird system. What was it? The Tiffany the Aching weird- was it Tiffany Aching? Yeah, yeah. We we did the Tiffany Aching book. When we did Good Omens, which is half Pratchett, half Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Gaiman's at one and a half, and now Terry Pratchett's at two and a half. <laughs> uh, so we, we have a write-up of, of sort of, you know, the short bio of Terry Pratchett. There's so much more written about him out there, and I encourage people to go read up more about him. But at patreon.com slash sword and laser in the book briefing, you can sort of get the, the basics of it. But Hogfather is the 20th Discworld novel. It was a 1997 British Fantasy Award nominee, uh, published in 1996, and it's a holiday story about the absence of the Hogfather, <laughs> a mythical creature who grants children's wishes on Hog's Watch Night, which is, of course, December 32nd, uh, and brings them presents. So it's essentially a holiday book, um, but death attempts to fill in for the Hogfather, and his grandfather Susan tries to find and rescue the Hogfather. And it's all very Terry Pratchett, and it's extraordinarily enjoyable, and it's perfect for a December book. Uh, So I hope people really get into the spirit of the season and enjoy Hogfather by Terry Pratchett. You know what's there instead of reindeer? Hogs. It's hogs! (laughs) Because he's the Hogfather! He's the Hogfather! (laughs) There's a great scene in a toy store with that it partly involves the hogs, and I won't. I'll just say I adore that scene and the running joke immensely. You may or may not agree, but I find it hilarious. Death is one of my favorite characters, like in literary (laughs) everything. So I'm like really excited to read. Put that on our tombstone, folks. (laughs) Death is my favorite. Death is one of my favorite characters in literary everything. Veronica Belmont. Yep. It's an episode title right there. Um, Yeah. I'm, I, uh, I'm excited to read this one. Um, I know some people are like, ah, another Terry Pratchett novel. But come on, it's been 11 years. Like cut us some slack. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I I don't think we've read a really good, uh, I shouldn't say good. I don't think we've read any comedy sci-fi in a while. So it's been a it's, minute. It's a good, yeah. It's it's a good genre shift for us, as and well. it's not super long either. I think for the holidays, people are looking for something a little quicker to burn mm. through. Mm-hmm. Um, admits all of our nogging and whatnot mm-hmm. and candle lighting. Ooh, so. I got to get some nog. That's a good point. Noggin. I've done my peppermint bark. I still need gingerbread and nog. And of course, pumpkin pie again. Mm, oh, I have pumpkin which pie I in did the fridge right now. Giving, but I, I have to do another round, of course. All right. Speaking of the holidays and winter, let's oh, talk yeah. about the Snow Queen. So, uh, the Snow Queen, what'd you think of it there, Veronica? I can't tell how I feel about this book, honestly. I think you're, you're uh, not alone in right. that. 
Yeah. I want to read, actually, John Taloni had a great post that I feel sums up, and there are spoilers. This is a wrap-up episode, so if you aren't finished yet and you really feel passionate about this, now is the time. We won't have anything else but Snow Queen the rest of this episode, so you're good to go. Um, He says, I finished the book yesterday. I also finished the book yesterday, though he finished it a month ago, and I finished it yesterday, December 3rd. Um, (laughs) I finished the book yesterday and have mixed feelings about it. How are people liking this? Does it live up to its hype? For me, the answer is not really, and that's too bad. When it was picked, I had a flashback moment to my teen years. Teen budget means I went to used bookstores and bought what I could from the books available. If I liked an author, I would target them for later purchases. This means buying and reading was subject to other people selling their books. I made infrequent purchases of well-loved authors new, as for instance, the hardbacks of Dragon Riders of Pern, Niven's new works, or the one-shot A Time When, which became White Dragon. For those I had to save up, though. So in viewing this book, my thought was, is this an author I somehow managed to miss? Perhaps it was some great material that, due to the vagaries of youth, I had just not come across. Vagaries. Uh, Maybe there was a reading blitz in order with the several sequels. Maybe there was a reading blitz in order with the several sequels. Okay. Well, the short answer is no. This book isn't terrible, but it definitely didn't excite me. It's interstellar intrigue, same subject material as, say, Anderson's I don't know how to say Holsotechnic League books, but not as well constructed. Full book spoilers coming. We've got Mary Sue Moon. Oh, you lost me. You lost me. As soon as you throw out Mary Sue randomly, you lost me because that's not a Mary Sue character. We've got Mary Sue Moon, chosen wanting her way through the book. Okay, I kind of did like chosen wanting, chosen wanting her way through the book. I did like that line. If you hadn't lost me already, maybe I'd like it. Stick with it. Everyone around her dies, but she lives to implement the will of the shadowy Sybil database left behind by the old empire to help their descendants lift themselves back into a technological society after a foundation-style fall. Her cousin lover, Ick, gets separated early on to fall into a series of obvious tropes. Yep, newbie to the city sparks gets picked up by a grifter, robbed, and left in an alley. Oh, what a surprise. I rolled my eyes hard at this one and skimmed over until it was done. Then, yep, the queen rolls him into her conspiracy and gets him to do repugnant things, all because she looks like her clone moon. It's immoral people doing immoral things. Immorally. There's way too many instances of items being revealed as they are needed plot-wise. The most egregious was when Moon needed to not be pushed off the bridge by the winds, and the Sybil database stopped them for her. Then, sudden reveal, the physical location of the database is right below her, but that must not be revealed because... I can't even come up with a justification. Gruesomeness abounds! The mares, a sea-dwelling species, are killed wholesale to create a short-lived serum that grants the taker youth. Can't synthesize it, can't freeze it, can't do anything but kill over and over again. Then we find out the mares are intelligent and are apparently the last to know because the interstellar government has been covering that up. And for as for a succession, it's done by human sacrifice as the previous regime's queen and her consort are forced to drown in some kind of callback to an ancient religion worshipping the embodiment of the sea. An interstellar empire allows this? The book is billed as hard science fiction, and there is a patina of that. The voyage to the black hole follows what was known at the time and would probably be fine today. But there's precious little actual science in this book, nor is there much in the way of characterization as the main actors in the book represent one stereotype after another. 
I didn't hate it, but it was on the low end of books I've read, even allowing for the age of the novel. Might read the sequel just to get the end of the story, but that'll be after the current TBR is exhausted. No hurry. Clyde said, I'm quite enjoying it. About 70% in. Good science fiction with a fantasy vibe. Trike said, I just hit page 81, chapter 8, and it's still building the world. I quite like it so far. Reminds me of Dune or that second pitch black movie, uh, The Chronicles of Riddick. Tassie Tassie Dave Dave says, I finished today. I rated rated it four stars. stars. I really enjoyed it. It It had had a great world world and and well-rounded characters. characters. I'm not sure I'll read the sequels. I liked where it ended and didn't feel a need to find out what happens next. I just felt like we had to balance out the cynicism in uh, in poor John Taloni's uh, takedown that you just read, which I feel like, okay, that's fair. He didn't like it. And so he's going to have negative perspectives. But some of these assertions are presented as factual, ob- objective uh, problems with the story that I don't agree with. Uh, th- I didn't think the tropes were obvious. I didn't think there's too many instances, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it all depends on on what you bring to the story and what you're expecting. You can rip apart anything if you want to. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not sure that I like how how vicious John got. But it's hilarious that at the after all of that, he says, I didn't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I might read the sequel, so who knows? Like maybe maybe the viciousness is is not meant to come through as as much as I took it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I am struggling. I just struggle so much because there were parts that I really, really liked and parts that I was like, "Mm, I could do without this. Basically sparks. I could just do without in general. Like he was not my favorite character. I don't really feel like I connected with him at all. Moon, I thought was really interesting. Um, I liked her character. I didn't feel like she was a Mary Sue, um, I think she made some like weird choices. There was a little chosen oneness, but she was literally the chosen one. I mean, yes, chosen one is a legitimate story type, yeah. right? So just because a character is a chosen one doesn't mean it's now a bad story. So. Right. It was, I mean, the whole reason why they had these things that they did, these, what's the word I'm looking for? Motivations? Not motivations, the planet was very, it was kept in the dark on purpose. Oh, and right. And so that's yeah. why they had all of these, why can't I remember the word? Pro Prohibitions, rules, Sh- laws. I meant more meant like um things that they do every hundred or so years. Oh, that, rituals. Rituals, thank you. Um, They have these rituals because they're being purposefully kept in the dark, though it is strange that they're, they have this trickle of technology that they're mm-hmm. able to use and are aware of and but they're not able to kind of break out of that. It's almost like prime directive but not taken far enough. Like they're they know of interstellar flight, they are aware of the existence of spaceships, they have some technology, they're allowed to use technology during certain cycles in their history. Um but I'm not sure exactly why I never really figured out why they had to go back to kind of pre-technology civilization. Like because, what is because it the just empire, to refresh the, the mares? No, the empire took it away from them. The empire didn't want them to develop technologies that it couldn't control because the empire is in tatters. So it's a, it's a method of colonial control to get the people to believe that they need to get rid of technology, that technology is not trustworthy, that the Sybils are not trustworthy, 
it's it's a form of of colonial control. That's how I read it. Yeah, uh, and so they they have they have this, and there's real life precedent of getting people to say like, oh no, you shouldn't investigate how this stuff works. You wouldn't be able to handle it. You wouldn't understand. So we'll we'll control all of that. Like that's that's happened throughout history quite a bit. But it's also the, baked into their own their own ritual and and history yeah. and society like that. So the ritual isn't the cause of it. The ritual is a symptom of that. Like oh, I guess because we have that control, we'll we'll foster these these sort of primitive mm-hmm. beliefs to keep people distracted. It's like opiate of the masses kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, that's how I read it. Yeah, and I, I kind of liked how it felt both fantastical and science fiction at the same time. Um, in many ways, uh, some people there was a bit of a thread kind of talking about how it felt a little Star Warsy, uh, and mm-hmm, it was you know mm-hmm. a little bit of that era as well. What did you think? Did you like it? You know, uh, my actual gut reaction to it was it was good, but it was not it was not the book that I ever didn't want to read. Mm-hmm. But it was also not the book that I couldn't wait to go pick back up. We've had a few of those recently. Yeah. Uh, it, it was not the kind of story where I was on the edge of my seat. Most of the time, there were a couple points where it started to really pick up and I'm like, oh, okay, it's going to be hard to put this down. Cause I mm-hmm. want to find out what happens. And they u- were usually about moon. Uh, I, I feel like the problem with sparks, AKA Starbuck, uh, was that the snow queen just didn't have a lot going on because she's stuck. Mm-hmm. She's stuck in her place and you know exactly what she wants to do. She wants moon to be her clone and carry on. And there's not a lot of progress for her. She's sort of trapped there. And because of that, once sparks goes into her thrall, you're like, well, I guess we'll just wait for moon to show back up for anything <laughs> yeah. to happen with him. Uh, and once she does, then moon, then I thought sparks got more interesting again. And then, then everything started to get more interesting. I'll be honest. The cousin thing didn't even really bother me at all. It's, it, it turned a few other people off, but, mm-hmm. uh, if if Cersei and Jamie Lannister are are, are okay, a, a cousin that's not even illegal, like whatever. Uh, and and in certain periods of time in certain cultures, uh, it's been necessary for cousins to marry. So I don't know. I just kind of washed that under the historical bridge. Uh, but once you didn't think about that anymore, I thought the Moon Sparks love story was you know it, it wasn't revelatory but it was interesting and and i i believed that they had a bond uh like you say it would have been nice for it to be overwhelming for me to be like really mm-hmm. longing like oh i need moon to get back to spot i never felt that i never felt that strong desire to get them back together because they were meant to be together well even after after the the massacre of the mares on the beach and she realizes that, that it is sparks who is starbuck and who is doing this like i i had a bit of a hard time kind of like getting back on board with their relationship mm. especially after that um but i really found the side characters to be the most interesting it was a great world, yeah. Yeah, like I loved, I thought Tor as um, Persephone was super interesting. I thought the police chief, the commander, um, whose name mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to pronounce or say out loud, um, she was she was interesting. Her, oh, right. We haven't talked about her, and she's got a main yeah. storyline. And she's uh, like, the that, reason this all happens is because she- Actually, when she's out in, in and looking for, when- uh, the 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 lieutenant that she relied on gets captured and then he meets up with moon and they're with those those people out in the wilds and there's the menagerie mm-hmm. all of that i thought was just fascinating world stuff yeah. like i really enjoyed that so i i would have liked to have explored that even more um 
I found the the spark slash moon story. I I thought the Sybil story was crazy interesting. Like I really wanted to learn more about that. I just found the the love relationship um, to be the least interesting. I wonder if that's because we're spoiled with love stories now, because this, this for 1980 is an incredibly complex love story. Mm, Moon mm -hmm. doesn't, Moon falls for someone else. And you know, Mm -hmm. like that's, that's just not done in science fiction. You have, you have the person who always loves the other person. And then if they love someone else, they feel bad. And what I loved is that Moon was like, no, you can love more than one person. It's just different levels. And and you know it it dealt with that in a very complex way, and I, I I liked that a lot. Yeah. Um. So the fact that you have that going on, but then the main love story isn't as good mm-hmm. as once. I wonder if that's where we're spoiled. Like, oh, but we got all this other complex stuff, so it's obviously not you know stuck in the past. But then, oh, but this main one feels stuck in the past. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. So overall, yeah, I would I would probably give it a four star if I had to give it a rating at this point, just because I thought the world building was was pretty mm-hmm. interesting. I th- I loved all the side characters. Um, the robot. Oh my god. The robot Paul, loved. Yeah. He's, so good. He was what a what a surprise like interesting character at the end of the book. There, I was like, oh, you were here all along, being super interesting, and you didn't tell yeah. us until the last couple chapters. But that was what that was one of the things that yeah. made it so fun was mm-hmm. that you were like, oh, you've been in front of me the whole time, and I just didn't pay attention to you because you're a robot, and I guess I should have paid attention because there were unseen depths there. Like, yeah, that's kind of a great lesson. And the captain of the ship of the smuggler ship. Um, oh yeah, who yeah, like yeah. sees Moon as like her daughter, uh huh, and that whole complex story that she had this this husband that she loved so much, and they never were able to have kids, and their whole backstory this, like, about smuggling. meeting him, and he was a rebel, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and Naget or that, whatever his name was, like he was such an interesting complex character. I think perhaps you know as we're talking about this, and we keep rediscovering these little bits that I'm like, oh yeah, that was really good. I think. This is not a book for someone who who's wants story above all, mm-hmm. uh, because the story isn't what's interesting. The story isn't what won this book, the Hugo. It's it's the plot. Mm-hmm. It's it, and the it's the world. Yeah, it's the yeah. world. Because you have lots of stories, lots of vignettes, lots of characters. And this is a character book. Maybe that is the best way to talk about it. Uh, but it's 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 not. For someone who's like, no, 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 no. I just want the hero's journey. Give, give, give me what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, good, that's a good way of thinking about it. An interesting read. Good pick, Tom. Yeah. Well, you know, I like to, as I say, I like to keep trying different genres, different all kinds of authors, different kinds of stories. Uh, and I think this definitely satisfied on that respect. Even if it's not one of my favorite books, I'm very glad I read it. And I just keep picking Terry Pratchett for the third time. <laughs> well, over nine years, I think you're allowed. I think that's fair. <laughs> Isn't it like 11 at this point? Is we started 11? in 2008. No, you're right. It's 11. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> All right, everybody. Have you been with us 11 years? If so, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for- Terp Kristen. Thank you specifically, <laughs> Terp Kristen. Our show is currently entirely funded by you, our patrons. Thank you so much to the folks who back our show. If you want to help support us, head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. 
And you can also support the show by buying books through our links. It's like a little bookstore on our website. Uh, browse through our shelves at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Send us an email at feedback at swordandlaser.com, like about alkalides, for example. Visit our website, swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 4157sword6. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Happy Hogs Watch. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.